If you're able, would you remain standing for a moment longer for the reading of God's Word? I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 3, sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. First John chapter 4, starting at verse 1, this is the word of our Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this we know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would indeed sweetly draw us into your word, that we might know what are the things that you want us to believe concerning you and the things that you require of us. For us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There has never been a time in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ when she wasn't afflicted with false teaching. She has been assailed from without, but mostly she has been assailed from within. The worst attacks have come from people who claim to be speaking on behalf of God and try to lead people astray from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet the Lord has preserved His church and would continue to preserve her. People are often worried about the state of the church and often with good reason. But we don't have to worry about the existence of the church. The church will remain for all eternity. And we'll be here to greet the Lord Jesus Christ when He returns for her. And the Lord preserves His church through the centuries. He has done that by means of His people, people like you, people like me, as we stand for His Word and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's actually the motto of the Bible Presbyterian Church out of uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God Himself has preserved His church for 2,000 years because people like you and I are willing to stand on the Word and for the Word. And what we have here before us this morning is an inspired exhortation for us to join the band of those who stand for the truth of Jesus Christ in the church of Jesus Christ. John speaks of the duty that we have to test the spirits. He also tells us what the content of that test, by the content by which we must test the spirits. He gives us the standard by which we must test the spirit. He affirms our ability to test the spirits. 
And then he declares that we have the authority to test the spirits. That's our outline for this morning, and Lord willing, we'll accomplish that. The first thing we see in this passage in verse 1 is the duty to test the spirits. It's a duty given to every believer. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. What is going on at the church that John is writing to? Why does he need to write things like this? Well, a lot of people in the church were saying that their contradictory messages were from the Lord. They were claiming to be speaking from God, and yet they were speaking opposite uh, things. The statements they were making were in contradiction with one another. And at least some of the people in the church were accepting all that was being said injudiciously. That is, they weren't questioning. They're just taking at face value even contradictory statements. They would say, oh, they're saying it's from God, so it must be from God without any thinking or questioning. And that's implied in verse 1. In our translation says, do not believe every spirit. The way that's written means Stop believing every spirit, which implies at least some in the church were just embracing everything that was said in the name of God as being true. In addition to that, they were living in an age where God was still authoritatively and infallibly speaking through prophets. The church needed to know how to discern whether this prophet was from God or not. How do we measure? If, if he claims to be, have a message that's inspired by God, how do we know that we should follow that message? That's the struggle that they are going through there. Though God no longer infallibly speaks through prophets, the church today still faces conflicting messages that need to be examined in light of some standard. So we don't have prophets anymore. People are not speaking infallibly, that is inherently, and inspired by God as they did in the New Testament. And if you, if you struggle with that, come and see me afterwards, and I'll try to show you that from the Scriptures. But that's the truth. That doesn't happen anymore. But even then, there's all kinds of conflicting voices in the Church of Jesus Christ. How do we examine which ones we should believe? How do we examine which ones we should follow? What's the standard? And it is in this context that John urges the church not to believe everything that everyone who says he is from God says. So John is asking to say, don't believe everything you hear. Just because something claims, somebody claims that what they say is from God, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is from God. It's interesting that chapter 3 ends with an exhortation to believe in Jesus Christ. No questions asked, no, no conditions. Believe in Jesus Christ. And then chapter 4 begins with an exhortation to discriminate among all the teachings that are swirling around the church. And John exhorts what we believe is the Ephesian church. We believe that John is writing to the Ephesian church, uh, you know, of, of Paul's fame, of Timothy's fame, of Apollos' fame. Towards the end of the first century, he's writing to the Ephesian church, and through them, us... He says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Now, the spirits are not necessarily immaterial beings. Spirits here stand for ideas and attitudes, as in the expression, the spirit of this age. The word spirit stands in parallel 
to the words false prophets in this particular verse. So we can conclude that the spirits are the ideas that the prophets are, were teaching. Test them. Test the ideas. Test what they're saying. Having said that, however, all ideas have moral or ethical value and are either true or false. All ideas, to borrow uh, R.C. Sproul's expression, all ideas have consequences. All ideas have a moral implication and an ethical implication. So if that's the case, then and, and we know that all truth comes from God and all lies comes from Satan, we can conclude that the world of ideas is either dominated by the Spirit of God or by Satan. Those are the only two, two sources of ideas, and we're trying to establish, is this thing that's being taught coming from the Spirit of God, or does it have as its origin the father of all lies, the deceiver himself? So, so John encourages us, test the spirits. Test is to examine to see if what is being said is true. It's to consider carefully. It's the same word, this word test here, is the same word that we read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight when Paul encourages us to carefully examine ourselves to see if we are in Christ as we partake of the Lord's Supper. The, this, we, so Paul tells us, not Paul, John, examine what's being said. Carefully think through Things Don't just receive everything that's been told you. Think clearly. People of God, maybe you have to jumpstart your brain. Maybe you have to shake things up to get the cobwebs going. But you must think. The, supposedly the name of our species is Homo sapiens, right? Which means thinking men. By the way we act, some of us may not be of that species. The Bible says, think. You cannot be an unthinking Christian. You must think. You must exercise. When, my, when I do something stupid, my dad would say, Son, your brain is for more than separating your ears. That's true of us too. God has given us a mind, and we are to think. And we are to think about what we hear, instead of just embracing unjudiciously every idea that comes our way. And this idea that the people of God should be careful to examine what is said is in the name of God is not peculiar to John. Paul says the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, don't, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy. So don't just shut everybody out. Think about what's being said. Test all things, John says, Paul says. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from evil, every form of evil. And that's in the realm of ideas. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil in the world of ideas, of prophecies, of things that are being said in the name of God. And being very careful about what is taught in the name of God has been part of the requirement of the love of God from their very beginning. The people of God have been encouraged to think about what is being taught in the name of God all the way from the wilderness. 
In Deuteronomy chapter, 5, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, God is instructing people on how to deal with prophets who are trying to lead them astray from God. And it's a simple way, you kill them. That, that uh, offends our Western sensibilities, but it's how serious God was about deceiving His people. He says that in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5, there are, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass. So this is not the guy that says, tomorrow is going to rain, and it doesn't. It's the guy that says something, and that something comes to pass. It's the guy that actually performs a miracle, and the miracle is there. So he done that, and then he says this, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Thinking about what is said is a sign of your love for God. Being an unthinking Christian is to not love God. If you look at the entire command, remember the entire, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So to be unthinking people, when we hear things declared in the name of God, is to not love God. And then he continues in verse 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet... Or that dream of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God. Now, I'm not advocating for you to go out and go kill people who are teaching falsehoods. Do not do that. That will be sinful of you to do that. But don't entertain their ideas. Don't entertain their ideas. Don't be friendly to what God hates. They are of the world. And, and friendship with the world is empty. Enmity with God. Paul praised the Berean Jews because they were the kind of people who listened to his preaching with attentiveness and respect and yet checked every word he said. Right? They listened. They listened. They, listen, they were interested. They were attentive. They, res, they were respectful in their listening. And then he said, "That's great, Paul. Let's see if he matches." And they would go back and check to see if what he said was so. We see that in Acts chapter seventeen, verses ten and eleven. So John calls us here to be very careful about the teachings of those who claim to speak for God, because they are men. There are many false prophets. And John says they are coming from the church. They're not, it's not the secular atheist that's the biggest danger. It is those who are speaking, claiming to speak in the name of God. Those are the ones that will do the most damage to his church. So we see the duty of every believer to test the spirits. But John doesn't stop there. He also gives the content of the test. In that sense, it is, Jesus is Jesus. Jesus is not something else. Jesus is Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> By this you know that the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, 
and every spirit does not confess, and then if you have an ESV, you don't have the last little part that I'm going to read, does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Anyone who denies that Christ is anything less than what the Bible teaches is anti-Christ, is against Christ. It does not deserve our attention. It's not worthy of our following. It does not have a place in the conversation. I think... Let's, let's say it was C.S. Lewis. I can't remember, I can't remember who, who said this, but somebody like C.S. Lewis, it may have, may, have been, may have been Chesterton, said that Christians sometimes have such an open mind that start, stuff start, start falling out of it. As far as Christ is concerned, our mind's supposed to be closed, tight, tightly closed. We don't negotiate. And that's the test we use to, to, to figure out, is this guy from, Christ, from God or from the world. The core element of the test is what the one claiming to speak for God believes and is teaching concerning Jesus. Is the Jesus they are putting before you the whole Jesus of the apostolic teaching? If so, then you give an ear to him. If not, run as fast as you can. Have nothing to do with that one. At John's time, when he's writing this letter, the main issue concerning Christ was a denial of his incarnation. The early church had a really hard time with the concept of God becoming man. That was contrary to to Greek philosophy of the time, and they really struggled with that idea that God, the spiritual God, would become material. So a lot of things are going on here that are denying the incarnation of Jesus. Our Western mind has actually trouble with the other way that a man could be God. Either way, they're a denial of who Christ is. Now, because that was the case with John, that's why he focuses, his focus is on Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. That doesn't mean, however, that there is, that's the only issue we are to check as we evaluate the message of one who claims to speak for God. He says, that they need to confess Christ, right? To confess Christ is to affirm with conviction, not simply say something. True confession is mentioned here in, in John, involves the heart. Paul says that we're saved when we confess our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our hearts that he's risen from the dead. Confe- uh, uh, confess and believe. Parallel there. They're referring to the same thing. So examining the confession concerning Jesus Christ of those who claim to bring the message from God includes checking what they believe concerning several things. What do they believe about Jesus, for to be sure? Is he fully man? Is he fully God? Is he the authoritative Lord of the church? What do they believe concerning sin? What is the extent of the effects of sin on us? Because the answer to that question will determine what kind of Savior Jesus is. If sin is nothing more than brokenness, which is the popular word in, in, our, uh, in, the, in the Christian world, oh, you're broken people, sure. But first of all, you're sinful people. Your problem is not that you're broken. Your problem is that you're sinful. And God is going to pour his wrath upon those who stand outside of Christ. Brokenness is secondary to the fact that we have a holy God who cannot stand the sight of sin 
And we will stand before him someday. And are we going to be covered by the blood of Christ or not? So what is it that the, the people speak on behalf of God think about sin? Is Jesus a complete savior or is he just a helper for us to achieve our full potential? Is, is he the Lord or something less than the absolute master? What is the authority of his word? These are all things that we need to be thinking about when we hear somebody's message who claims to be, to be having a word from God. Regardless of what the mess, their message from God is, figure out what they confess about Christ. Because that's at the core of what is importance. Important. So the Holy Spirit calls us to examine carefully what is being said in the name of God, and He tells us what the standard that we're supposed to use for that judgment. But you may be asking yourself, am I really qualified to make these judgments? John says yes. In verse 4, he talks about the ability to test and the fact that you are from God. Look at verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who, is in, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have overcome them. Who is them? Or well, the only other plural word that antecedes that goes before them is false prophets. So you are, you are from God. You have overcome the false prophets. Prophets. So in this verse, John gives us two encouragements to help us own the exhortation to test the spirits. We are from God, and we have already overcome the false prophets. If you're a true, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are from God because you have been born of Him. You are literally out of God because you've been born of Him. First John. In John 1, chapter, uh, verses 12 and 14, the apostle says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but what? But of God. You are united to God through Jesus Christ. He is your father and you are his children. The false prophets may be eloquent. They may use beautiful words. They may use complicated words. But God has enlightened us by his spirit. And John says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It does not matter what sort of alphabet soup they have after their names. You have overcome them because you're from God and the Spirit dwells in you. What kind of faith are we to have? When Jesus Christ was trying to find the example of faith, he, he bring, and here is the scholar, have a faith unto him and you shall enter the kingdom of God. Or here is the university professor, have a faith unto him and you shall enter the kingdom of God. Here is the college graduate. Here's the no. What is it that when Jesus is trying to exemplify what kind of faith we're supposed to have? It's a child. Have the only those that have the faith of a child will enter the kingdom of heaven. That tells us that even the faith of a child overcomes false teaching. Is able to test. If you know who Jesus is, you're able to test the spirits.
In addition to that, in addition to being from God, you have already conquered the false prophets because Satan has nothing on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is much greater than Satan. We don't have to listen to the world because it does not have insurmountable power over us. So let me ask you, so why is it that we listen to the world? Why is it that we listen to false teaching? Why is it that's so tempting? I think ultimately it's because of the fear of man. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man brings a snare. We want to fit in. We don't want to be different than what is generally accepted in the world. We want to be celebrated. Now, swimming against the current gets tiring. And we just want to float for a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, the, uh, the two years in dealing with COVID, uh, there are times that I felt like, can we just do whatever is being said? Just fighting against it. And this person in church says, you're wrong because you're doing this. And then this person said, you're wrong because you're doing this. And, and uh, uh, this, we go this way, go that way, and become a specialist in all these different things. And can we just float? The problem is that there's only one kind of fish that floats. It's dead fish. And we're alive in Jesus Christ. So we just keep on, we are in Dory. We just keep on swimming. Just keep on swimming upstream. For the, to where is, do you know who is the fountain of, the, of, of living waters? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we just keep on swimming towards Him as we go through this world. And to all of that, John says, as we struggle with wanting to belong to the world, as we, want, as we struggle with wanting to fit, as we struggle with wanting to be celebrated, John says, you have overcome the false prophets in the world. You have the approbation of God. God celebrates you with all the angels of heaven because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You will not find that by succumbing to the world. By, by listening to the world. Brothers and sisters, you are indwelt by the Spirit. And He will lead you into all truth. So John exhorts us to examine everything that is said in the name of God. He gives us the standard we are to use. What does, what does the teacher believe concerning Jesus? And he affirms that we have the ability to judge, but he doesn't leave it there. He says that we also not only have the ability to judge, we also have the authority to judge. Look at verses 5 and 6. We have the apostolic teaching, the authority to judge. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The world will hear the false teachers. Their churches will grow really big. And that's, that's the standard we want. That's easy. That's not, that's not difficult. We can do that. They will have a following, verse 5 tells us. Hearing here in this verse goes beyond the physical act of interpreting sound through one's auditory system. The world will hear with approval it will buy into the false prophet's teaching. They will 
fill, fill a hypothetical church in a hypothetical big state in which meets in a hypothetical former NBA uh, arena, the world will listen to that message. The fact that the world hears the approbation, what is false, tempts us to buy into, into it, or at least into what is not central in order to be accepted and celebrated. We've been talking about the mission of church a lot in the last few months. And the reason for that is that it's easy to do social justice. It's easy to have sermons on racial inequality. It's easy to uh, fight, to, to stand for, to go fight sex, sex trafficking. It's easy to try to speak and have the up in arms on social inequality. Because that has the approbation of the world. You'd be celebrated as a church if we were a church known for you know, relieving people from homelessness. The world will clap. But that's not the approval we want. We want these words. Well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. Enter into the rest prepared for you before the foundation of the world. So Paul says that even the church will act like this sometimes. In, in 2 Timothy, he's speaking about the church. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time will come when they, who? The people in the pew will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We are great people. God cannot function without you. You are the best thing that ever existed. You are... Thus, the, 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 you, you're not sinful people. You're just righteous people. Do you know what I, I'll be doing if that's how I preach here? Tickling your ears. Leading you astray from God. Because none of us are righteous. No, not one. We all have gone astray. All have fallen. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's the solution. Paul gives us a solution there in 2 Timothy as well. He, he makes timid, as he says, You timid Timothy, you who has struggled with the fear of man, I put you on an oath under God. Preach the word. And only do it twice, when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. That's the only two times. And as you do that, you're going to test the spirits through the word of God. It is much easier to have drama in the church. It's much easier to have performances. It takes a whole lot more time to repair sermons and so on. And yet, it is the word of God that will make the people of God like the son of God. And that's why we proclaim the word. It is in the word of God that we find the authority to test the spirits, John says in verse 6. Uh, the we there in verse 6 is a reference to the apostles as in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. Those who truly confess Jesus will hear, they will follow the apostolic teaching. Those who don't confess Jesus will not be faithful to the apostolic teaching. It may be a complete rejection of the Bible, 
or it may be paying lip service to the Bible while doing their own thing, but they will not follow the Scriptures. Ultimately, we judge ideas that are proclaimed in the name of God with the Apostles' teaching, that is, the Bible. How does this line up with the Scriptures? That's where the authority is. I don't have authority. The elders don't have authority in and of ourselves. We have ministerial and declaratory authority. What does the Word of God says? say? And then we say, thus says the Lord. And that's where we go. And that's where our authority is to judge the spirits as well. <clears throat> There's always going to be a conflict between truth and error. So we must be obedient to John's exhortation to examine everything. And John exhorts us to examine everything that is said in the name of God. He gives us the standard we are to use. What does the teacher believe concerning Jesus? And he affirms that we have the ability to judge what is being said by those who are speaking in the name of God. We also have the authority to do that as we stand on the very word of God. So what are some encouragements as we close here for us here? Let me give you three encouragements. And I don't mean encouragements as I hope you, I hope you feel happy about this. Just things for us to do, encouragements for us to believe and think and act in some ways. I do want you to feel good, by the way. I, that, I have nothing against that. I really I want you to be the greatest rejoicing people in the world. First, be encouraged by this. Jesus Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. It's, it's going to happen. People from every nation, from every tongue, from every kindred will and are coming to Jesus Christ. That means that he will always have those in his church who are willing to examine all claims made by those who speak in the name of God. That's us. Can you believe that, that Christ is building his church through us? It's like me in my kitchen remodel. Could not think of a worse person to be enlisted to do that. Right? I'm praising the Lord for other men who have come along and helped. It's, so it's me, it's you who know nothing about it that God has enlisted to build His church. And He is building it as we stand in His Word. And for the Word of God in the testimony of Jesus Christ. Encouragement number two. The Spirit Himself dwells in you. Do you get that? God lives in you. And equips you to resist the world because you have conquered the world. Every time you feel like succumbing, falling to the world, remember, you don't have to. God has conquered the world. You have overcome the false prophets. Thirdly, do not be lazy in your thinking. Do not be lazy in your thinking. God has given you everything you need to think biblically through whatever issues is placed before you. The scriptures are sufficient for us to examine every idea. Don't be lazy in your thinking. Not only that, he has surrounded you with the church that has been thinking together about things for 2,000 years. Don't be lazy in your thinking. Love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being, including the thing 
that's supposed to do more than separating your years. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We pray that we will be able to stand for it. We pray to enable us to think about all things through the lens of the scriptures. Thank you that the Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to, to overcome the world. We praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.